Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sunday morning, and Lord, once again, we ask that you would work with us and in us. Lord, that you would accept the sacrifices of the song sung, the special music. Lord, I pray that the sermon this morning would speak to us from your word, and that, Lord, we would be willing to surrender our lives and our futures and our hopes and our wishes to you and to your word. Lord, we pray that each part of this service will honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. And we'll have those that are going to the children's church to be dismissed. And the rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, how many of you know what yesterday was? Uh, Okay, I saw someone say St. Patrick's Day. And of course, that's quite a celebrated holiday. I did not hear very much uh, about it on the news this time, maybe because I wasn't listening to the news. But uh, uh, it's always a big uh, holiday in New York City. In fact, uh, some say it is the most celebrated national holiday across the world. I mean, St. Patrick, uh, everybody knows he's Irish, right? Wrong. He was actually born in Scotland, and uh, he was the the quote-unquote patron saint uh, of Ireland in the Catholic Church and in their tradition. And, of course, uh, New York City has adopted uh, him as well. His uh, greatest miracle was to drive all of the snakes out of the island of Ireland. And uh, upon several several reputable sources, uh, I found out that would have been rather easy to do since there never were any snakes on the island of Ireland. Uh, uh, The reason why we we bring this up is this morning, uh, I would like for us to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. It says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. This morning I'd like to preach on tradition. Uh, tradition is a wonderful thing. It's also a terrible thing. Uh, traditions are, as we all know, some are very good, some are very bad. Um, and so, since yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, the historical anniversary of his death in 461 A.D., uh, that was several years before the Roman Empire fell, uh, it, it, which was 476. And, and so there was still a, quote-unquote, Caesar reigning in Rome in the life of Patrick. Uh, the traditions are you're supposed to wear green, and you're supposed to drink beer, and, and get drunk, and have a great big feast, and of course... How in the world do all, all of that come there? Uh, the 
traditional Catholic meal is corned beef and cabbage or bacon and cabbage. I found out bacon and cabbage wouldn't make a very good soup. Uh, but corned beef certainly does. And I uh, had some yesterday and enjoyed it very much. Uh, but do you know why it was so important? Well, in the Catholic tradition of Lent, you're not allowed to eat red meat for 40 days. And so St. Patrick's Day was a break in your uh, fasting or giving up meat. It was a chance for you to eat. And much like the um, Islamic tradition of the fasting, they fast from sun up to sundown and then gorge themselves every night. Uh, that's what the Catholics did on St. Patrick's Day because they weren't allowed red meat for 40 days. But this one day we could have it. And so it was a time where they uh, indulged and uh, the wearing of the green did not come into tradition until 1798. That's a little far cry from having died in 461. Uh, do you know what the color was before the green came in in 1798? It was blue. 1798 was the Irish Rebellion in Northern Ireland. And of course, the whole reason why there's been so much strife in the island of Ireland is because the Pope, many centuries before, made a gift of Northern Ireland, those uh, several counties up there, to the King of England and divided the country arbitrarily, and there's been fighting and strife ever since until most recent history. And yet, if you still uh, walk certain uh, streets and meet certain people, you'll find out, just like the Civil War, that thing's still going on in hearts and lives of individuals. Hatred is hard to stamp out, isn't it? And uh, the green came into being because they were fighting the British redcoats. And, uh, and so uh, the drinking of alcohol was frowned upon on St. Patrick's Day up until the late 1970s. 1970s. Beer came into vogue in the early 1980s. Compliments... A Budweiser and your television set. And that is where the drunkenness and all of that, that is, that is a modern thing. These traditions have nothing to do with St. Patrick of Ireland. The interesting thing, if you will study the history, I have one little pamphlet here, uh, uh, a sermon by H.A. Ironside and John S. Wimbish, uh, both of which pastored in New York City. Uh, I think Mr. Wim uh, Reverend Wimbish was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in the 1920s, and H.A. Ironside was somewhat of a contemporary. And both of them document several things, and and I also have an article printed out from uh, the very reliable website, uh, Web ha Life Hacker, uh, which is not, it's like Wikipedia. It's take it, leave it, it's there. But the only book that Patrick ever quoted was this book. The only traditions 
that Patrick ever held to came out of this book. Patrick's only baptism, and it is claimed that he baptized thousands, depending on which story you read, that it's anywhere from six to 10,000 people in one day. His only baptism was immersion in water for believers only. That was the baptism that Patrick practiced. That's an interesting tradition, isn't it? Uh, Strangely, a biblical one, amen? His only organization was local assemblies. Now, Patrick would have used the older, the biblical word for pastor, which is bishop. That is the overseeing pastor of a church. But he did not organize dioceses. He did not organize uh, uh, any type of ecclesiastical hierarchy. He organized individual assemblies with their own pastor who was trained in teaching the same tradition that Patrick taught. You see, his father was a deacon in the Baptist church or in the the ancient church of Scotland, which was Baptist in its doctrine, the first Catholic monk to arrive in the British Isles with Catholicism was a man named Austin, who was nearly 300 years after Patrick's birth. Patrick never mentions the Pope, not once, never mentions the city of Rome, never mentions any of the monastic orders or all of those things, so he's credited with all kinds of accomplishments in Roman Catholic writings. The only legacy that he left was what is known as the ancient Celtic Church, which was one of the most prodigious producers of missionaries in the early world. There were missionaries from Ireland sent all over Europe and to many other places long, long before any of the, uh, the Roman church had chance to send its emissaries out. St. Patrick, if we will study the honest traditions of St. Patrick, we will find out that, yes, he was a saint because... He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. That was his message. No sacraments, no mysteries, no initiations. Membership in his church was through a profession of faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior and then being immersed in water in a physical symbol of that. If we take St. Patrick and the tradition he taught, We would just call him Patrick, or Pastor Patrick, or something along those lines. Brother Patrick, if he were alive today. And his tradition were simply biblical ones. You see, tradition, as we know, is both good and bad. We have good traditions, we have bad traditions. And in the Bible... The word tradition, traditions, is used 13 times. Only two of those is positive. 
we'll hit both of those. One of them is our text this morning. And, and it tells us here, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. You see, the other verse is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you'll just run down the page to, to verse 6, it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, if we'll take... Uh, Paul's definition of tradition here in the book of Thessalonians, he is limiting that tradition uh, in verse uh, 15 to what you've been taught by word or our epistle. In verse 6 of chapter 3, he says, received of us. You see, the Thessalonians only had one source for the gospel. It was the apostle Paul. And the people that he had sent and trained and, and worked in that church. And he said, listen, the tradition which you've received from me is the biblical tradition. Anything else you need to shun and walk away from. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 15. And as Jesus is addressing the uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees, the uh, in your King James Bible, you'll see them collectively named as the Jews with a capital J. Uh, this is not referring to all Jewish people, of course. Jesus is of Jewish heritage. All the disciples were of Jewish heritage. The, the When you see that capital J-E-W-S in your Bible, that's talking about, we'll just start here in verse 1. Then came, G, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying... Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines... The commandments of men. So here we have Jesus defining the false traditions. And he is setting up the understanding that we're trying to go through with today is false, false traditions or bad traditions will always, no matter how well intentioned, will always come into conflict with Scripture. You cannot develop your own tradition that will not eventually come into conflict with what the Bible teaches. We, we have many 
traditions, many different sets of traditions. Most of us are, are somewhat familiar with the Amish people, or if you listen to uh, the news broadcast, Amish. Uh, but uh, the Amish people have uh, lived uh, for uh, centuries there in central Pennsylvania, Lancaster area. And uh, when we go on the uh, uh, men's uh, bike ride in uh, June, we are going to stop at uh, one of the traditional smorgasbords in the area and undo every good thing we do on the bike trip. Amen? Uh, that's a good man tradition. I like that. And, uh, uh, but the, the food is extraordinary, but the traditions... If you were to, often people say, well, what is the Amish? Well, believe it or not, the Amish people are descendants from some of the medieval groups that we would term Anabaptists, the same groups we descend from. At one time, they held a true doctrines, but today all they have is tradition. That's why they dress the way they dress. That's why they refuse to use electrical implements and tractors and do everything the way they did and what was available in 1820s is where they drew the line in history. And many people have garnered traditions as such and the, the simplest thing is when you hold to tradition, eventually you're going to let go of God's Word Unless your tradition is, as Paul explained, in God's words. Can we say amen to that? You see, the commandment here Jesus is explaining was honor thy father and thy mother. And that does not limit itself to children obey your parents. That's part of it, all right? And someone says, how long am I under an obligation to obey my parents? Well, uh, if you're living in their home at their expense, uh, I would suggest that uh, you might want to pay a little bit of attention to that obey thing. It's not wrong. But there comes a time when every child grows up and has to make their own decisions. And if you want to know the greatest reward that a parent can receive is when that child grows up and reaches that point of maturity and they make decisions that you as a parent would have made if you were standing in their shoes. That is the greatest reward of parents. That's what John meant when he said uh, the joy of seeing my children walk in the Lord, when they make their own decisions that they follow. But the, the real idea of honor thy parents comes in later. As your parents get to a point where they cannot take care of themselves, it was the responsibility in the Jewish uh, home and set up in the laws of, of God that the oldest uh, son would take care of the parents. In fact, when the... Uh, uh, when the division of property was made at the, at the death of the parents, the, old, the eldest son would receive uh, 
uh, two-thirds of, of the estate or whatever that property was so that there would be ample funding to take care of, of, uh, of uh, mom and, and the family there. In the New Testament, we read stories of, of the church being uh, taking care of the widows and Paul was giving instruction, if the family is there, you take care uh, of your family, that the church be not charged with these things. But the elders had come up with the traditions. Most of us, if you're following your Bible reading schedule, you're just getting ready to finish, uh, well, you're, yeah, getting ready to finish the book of Numbers. You've gone through all those regulations and you can dedicate a field to the Lord or you could dedicate your service to the Lord and, and, and uh, that's what this means here. It is a gift. See, they had figured a way to cheat the Romans. The Roman tax collectors would come in and they would, they, they would charge the people. That's how the Roman government funded the legions and all of the armies that went there. And, and so the Jews came up with this idea, we'll dedicate it to the Lord, then it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to the Lord, and you can't tax me on what belongs to God. And, and the uh, Romans actually were like, okay, we're not going to go around slaughtering every Jewish family here. And, and they kind of let that thing stand. Well, then, mom and dad need some help. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't take care of you. I can't even pay taxes on this because it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. Oh, what hypocrisy. It all belongs to God, does it not? And we give him tithes and offerings off what he has given us. Amen? And that's a blessing, and that's the way it ought to be, but we ought to do what's right. You see, they were using their tradition to negate the laws of God. Jesus summed it up. He says, you teach for doctrine the commandments of men. You see, tradition is most often an excuse for not changing. Well, my great-great-grandmother was a Catholic, and my grandmother was a Catholic, and my grandfather was a Catholic, and that means I should be one. Okay? That's an excuse. You know what the other way uh, traditions are used? Oh, these traditions, they're, they're just man-made, and so we're going to get rid of all of them, and we're going to come up with our own tradition. That's what the purpose-driven movement's all about. We'll throw away everything and come up with brand new stuff. In fact, we have a group of, of uh, people coming along, and uh, if, uh, they, uh, what I like to call it is eclectic theology. Now, when you're going to the smorgasbord and you got uh, the one there we're going to stop at uh, has 200 feet of serving tables, of different kinds of food. I mean, it's just a fantastic place. And I just love to go and get some of this and some of that, and I'm going to skip this over here, and I'm going to get... You can't do that 
with this book. You don't get to pick. You know why? Because God's already done the picking. And see, you can take tradition if you want, and you can use it for an excuse to ignore what's in the Bible, or you can use it as an excuse to change what's in the Bible. But if we will follow the biblical traditions, the biblical thing, we'll find out. And I hope your Bibles are still open there to uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians. If they're not, let's go back here. And, and we're going to examine this verse very closely. We, we believe the Bible is its own commentary. And in order to really understand this verse, we're going to just study the Bible here and and get what it says. It says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. I, I don't believe that it's a, a far stretch here, that it's a difficult thing for us to grasp, that the traditions that we hold from the Bible came from the teaching of Jesus Christ. Amen? And if we'll go back into the Old Testament, we will find that God sent many prophets. And what was their primary purpose? How did they express God's message? Well, there's a phrase you'll find used in your Bible over and over and over again. Thus saith the Lord. That was the prophet explaining to the people... That this is God's message. Uh, another phrase that's used many times. The word of the Lord came unto the prophet. And then he went out and he gave that word to the people. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's expressing it this way. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. To save them that are lost. You see, if there's any tradition that is biblical, it is the preaching of God's Word. It is not limited to the New Testament. The Old Testament prophets all preached God's Word, did they not? Uh, I love the story of Micaiah as Ahab has him drug out of the court where they are sitting there in the gates. And... Uh, and he says, as Micaiah is being carried out, he says, if you come back in peace, God's not spoken by me. I'll tell you what, that's good preaching. He was putting his life on the line because if someone said, thus saith the Lord, and it didn't happen, the penalty was death. And of course, old Ahab, he thought he had it all planned, didn't he? He put on normal army clothes and regulation uniforms and took off all of his medals and his, all of his ornaments and he disguised himself. But poor Hezekiah, he didn't. And they started following and said, where's the king? Where's he? Ah, there he is. And they all started chasing Hezekiah. And it says, he cried out unto the Lord. Apparently, he did so loud enough that the people following, him, following Hezekiah heard him. 
And they said, Ahab's not a praying guy. This can't be the right guy. And they all turn around and they go looking. But God had his plan. The fellow just went, I don't know where this one's going. But God sent an angel to guide that arrow right between the joints of the harness. And Ahab stayed himself up in the chariot, proud and leader, until he bled to death. And they took him home, and the words of the prophet were always fulfilled. We have a verse we quote all the time here. Faith cometh by what? Hearing by the Word of God. By the way, you look up the word tradition in the Oxford English Dictionary, and the definitions that are given there is the idea of handing something down from generation to generation, but the emphasis is on the oral transmission of it rather than the written transmission. The, the written transmission is called an ordinance because it's ordered, it's set out in stone. The, the oral transition is called a tradition. And of course, if we're going to have traditions that follow the Bible, they first have to be founded in the teaching, in the preaching of the man that God sent. Could we say amen to that? The second part that happens is he says, whether by word or our epistle. Oh. So, traditions can be handed down in writing. Amen? In fact, most traditions are codified or put in print, as we might say, so that we could understand the Traditions and there's an awful lot of argument in churches. We we hold the most ancient traditions of Christianity. That's what the Orthodox say. Uh, the only problem is that's not true because the Orthodox Church was still arguing about whether Jesus Christ was truly God in 500 A.D. when the Bible settled that by the actual words and teaching of Jesus without any error. And so how in the world could they reflect the oldest traditions when 470 years after Jesus walked this earth, they're still trying to figure out whether he's really God or not? Could I challenge you, that's not the oldest tradition. This whole idea of baptizing babies is not mentioned once in the Bible. Not one place. Not one verse. The closest they can come. Well, you see, in Acts 16.31, Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. There, there had to be babies in the house so they can be saved. Well, sure they can if they will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but before they do that, they've got to grow up a little first. Amen. You see, even the passages they go to to try to find some kind of grounds for this tradition teach against their tradition. The pattern is, is well established. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 1 for just a few minutes. There's some more familiar ground here. 
Verse 16 says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter said, Listen, when we set this stuff, when we set this down, we did not sit down in a circle and, and make this up. How many of you are familiar with uh, a conflict known as the Boxer Rebellion? in China about 1899. That was a nationalistic movement where the Chinese people rose up and murdered every foreigner living in the land of China they could get their hands on. Eventually, it was the combined powers of Germany, Britain, America. Uh, I don't know what other countries actually brought this thing, and that, that's how England ended up with the uh, island of Hong Kong was part of the settlement uh, of that rebellion. You know what started it? Some drunken newspaper men in Denver on a Saturday night trying to figure out a story to print the next morning in the Sunday Times. And they all, the different newspapers there in Denver, they concocted a story that a set of engineers was traveling through Denver, going to China, and they were going to take down the China Wall because China wanted to open its borders to foreigners. Somebody grabbed a copy of the paper on their way to California. L.A. picked it up, telegraphed it back to the East Coast, and before long, the message was in China that America was going to tear down the Great Wall of China, and the Boxer Rebellion started. Wow. That's a cunningly devised fable. There are some not so cunningly devised fables. Uh, Sung Young Moon writes in his testimony that Jesus Christ appeared to him three different times, begging him to straighten out all the problems in the church that he himself, Jesus, had failed when he started the church. How many of you could see through that rather easily? Uh, I mean, that, that is not even a cunningly devised fable. That's just what my mama used to call a whopper, which usually meant you got whopped, right? Uh, there, there was going to be repercussions because of that kind of uh, uh, fabrication of the truth. Well, Peter says, we didn't make this stuff up. We were eyewitnesses. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter said, I heard God speak from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Are, are you hearing the message? Well, actually we're reading it, aren't we? You see, we believe that Tradition, if we would use that word, it's been handed down from generation to generation, has it not? It was first done orally. Then it was written and codified. And, and then Peter says here in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. See, here's one of the other parts of true biblical con, uh, tradition that we've got to get a hold of. If God develops something, if He teaches something, it's going to be in perfect agreement with everything else He's already taught. 
The Bible is not a book of conflict. It is one message from one God to mankind. Yes, we do not take sacrifices and offer them at the temple in Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus said it is finished. That is not a conflict. That is a fulfillment. Do you see the difference? And see, tradition is first given orally, then it's recorded, and it doesn't conflict with the Bible. And here is why. Verse 20, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I don't know how many people I've met over the years that have tried to hide behind. Well, that's your interpretation. And I always go to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Would you interpret that, please? Well, what do you mean? Well, what's the word all mean? Well, it means all. Uh, what's the word sin mean? Well, break God's law. Okay, so all have sinned. Does that leave out the Pope? Well, not according to this word, it doesn't. Uh, does that leave out anybody? Does that leave out you, me? It says, for all have sinned. So, yeah. And come short of the glory of God. What do you think that means? Um, and they'll sometimes him and haul a little bit. I said, well, what about this? How about nobody's as good as God is? Nobody has attained to God's righteousness. Oh, yeah. That, that. I said, you've just interpreted your first verse. I said, how many other meanings could you get out of those words without changing them? So you can't. You see, when God gives His words, it is superintended by the Holy Ghost. And God keeps one message from beginning to end. We have traditions in some churches today that violate the Word of God. Therefore, we know that they're man-made traditions. They change the Word of God. The uh, different religions say they have the right to change what the Bible says and add this. When the, the Pope claims to speak ex cathedra in the voice of God, whatever he says has more authority than the Scripture does. Well, that's a tradition that I refuse to accept because the Bible has already been given to us. Amen? Well, the Orthodox Church claims that, um, that it's not the Pope or the Patriarch, but it is the Mass of the Father. And by Mass, I mean conglomeration of people here. Uh, of the ancient church fathers and the, um, uh, the sayings of the church and of the priest and the practice and the people. And it all goes together in a bowl. And, and they have the right to change and modify and move the text of the Bible. And we'd say, we don't accept that tradition. The Protestants, they're the nuttiest of all. They say, it got so corrupted that God called on us to straighten it out and return the church to its most ancient and biblical traditions. And yet the most ancient and biblical tradi uh, 
I'm sorry, the most ancient traditions, they're not biblical, of the Protestant church are uh, things that they took from the Roman Catholic Church. Not anything they got from the Bible. That's why Protestants fought wars, just like the Catholic Church did. That's why the Protestants baptized babies, just like the Catholic Church did. That's why the Protestants did all of those things. Because the Catholics did them. Their traditions are not Bible. You see, if you follow a tradition to the end, it will either demand agreement with the Scriptures or disagreement with the Scriptures. That's why we reject Calvinism wholeheartedly and completely. Someone said, well, you you have to accept some of the points of Calvinism. No, I don't. Just because Calvin Calvin mistakenly worded some of his garbage to semi-agree with the Scriptures doesn't mean that I need to give Calvin any credit at all. You see, the Bible was right long before Calvin came into being. And the Bible's still right long after Calvin is dead. But here's the interesting thing. The, the one point of Calvinism that everybody likes is the P of the tulip, the perseverance of the saints. You can't lose your salvation. Oh, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says. But you see, if you'll follow it out, this was about 15 years ago. The Reformed Church in Europe had met. These are the descendants of John Calvin, and they agreed 100% that that once you are, if you are part of the elect, you cannot lose your salvation. But you see, the other thing, unconditional election, means God does the electing, so you can't know whether you're elect or not. And if you can't know whether you're elect or not, then you can't know whether you're saved forever or not. So now the Calvinists have to go back to the same place the Arminians do. You have to wait until you die to find out whether you're one of the elect or not. The only problem is the Bible says, These things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may what? Know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see... No matter what tradition it is, no matter how good it sounds on the surface, if you'll follow that tradition, it will lead you to either total agreement with the Word of God or disagreement with the Word of God. That's how we tell the difference between good and bad traditions. Amen? It's first given by the prophet. There is an oral aspect. Then it's recorded. But that recording is superintended by the Holy Spirit of God so that there is no conflict because it is the same God that gave the message to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that told Noah to build the ark that told us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? Now, You see, we do not want to hold to any tradition that is not exclusively Bible. Amen? You see, if we're going to argue about what is the oldest and what is the most uh, primitive, as in one word they like to use, of the Christian traditions, well then, this book ought to be the one that makes that call. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? 
Because this is the record of the life of Jesus Christ and the life of those apostles and, that he sent and, and trained. So we, we have the oldest record right here. You see, traditions that are exclusively Bible are the ones that we want to hold to. St. Patrick doesn't come in there. Though St. Patrick himself held to those Bible traditions, history has not been very kind to him. You see, that is what we call the authority of the Scripture. That is a tradition at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Amen? This is the court of final appeal. We cannot go anywhere past what the Bible says. And there are some things that the Bible doesn't say anything about. And you know what we do? We say, we can't answer that one because the Bible doesn't tell us. Now let me give you one of the examples. In the book of Revelation, John hears seven thunders utter their voices. He hears it, and he's about to write it down. And God says, don't write it down. Seal up the words. You know what? There's people that have written books on what the seven thunders were. The Bible doesn't tell us. When is Jesus coming back? Jesus said, no man knoweth the day or the hour. And Harold Camping has so wonderfully proved that point over and over and over and over again. And the Jehovah's Sicknesses, as they had set date after date after date, of when Jesus was supposed to return, all they've done is prove the tradition of the Bible that we don't know. Amen? You see, the authority of Scripture is one of our traditions. Salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Period. That is a Bible tradition. And you know what? Nothing will change that. But people like to add different things to it. They like to alter that in different ways. Baptism by immersion for believers only. You know what? That sounds like a list of what we call around here Baptist distinctives, doesn't it? I wonder how that got in my outline. Because I put it there, amen? You see, a church is organized of baptized believers headed by a pastor. And if need be, there are deacons appointed from the membership to aid the pastor in pastoring the church. That's the organization we find in the book of Acts, is it not? Amen? There's nothing else that is there. There's no uh, denominational hierarchy. There's no anything else. There's two ordinances. Believer's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And by the way, we, we, uh, I did not get this information to Andrew in time, but next Sunday, 5.15, we'll be having the Lord's Supper. But we believe that that is for members only. 
It is not just for anyone. And the whole foundation of the Wesleyan or the Methodist organization or denomination was because there were so many unsaved people in the Church of England or the Anglican Church that the Wesley brothers were trying to figure out a way to get the gospel to the unsaved people in the Anglican Church. I'll tell you what, that's a tradition we did not receive from this book called the Bible. The church is supposed to be made up of people who are already saved. And by the way, the church has an evangelistic purpose, does it not? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Do you know that St. Patrick's Church sent out more missionaries in the early centuries than the Roman church did? You know why? Because the Roman church hadn't gotten organized yet. That really didn't happen until after 500 A.D., after the Roman Empire fell. And and then they began sending out their missionaries and their emissaries when the Pope finally assumed the more uh, physical authority of Caesar as well as the quote-unquote spiritual authority as the leader of the church. But Patrick was already doing that and had done that all his life there, his ministry, in Ireland. You see, these simple traditions are the traditions that we hold because they were first preached by the Lord Jesus Christ and His apostles. They were recorded in this book called the Bible. There is no conflict with these traditions in anything that is printed in this Bible. And we reject all traditions that do not have the same foundation. Because we cannot allow ourselves to be moved as the Pharisees were, the scribes, The priests, even in the Jewish temple in Jesus' day, had been moved from the foundation of the Scriptures to a foundation of their own traditions. If you wonder why I put so much emphasis over the years on this, it is simply because I personally know pastors in my lifetime that used to preach just like we do, now Sunday morning's nothing but a rock concert with a little devotional at the end. Well, they sell Baptists on the front of the church sometimes. Usually it's in little tiny letters. And I'm not against that because that's not who they are. The Baptist tradition is what it was expressed this morning in those very few points. The authority of Scripture. Salvation by grace. Baptism for believers only. A simple church organization. You see, and an evangelistic purpose or an outreach. The persecuted church, even in the darkest days of the medieval uh, inquisition, the true church was still sending missionaries all over the world. The most printed book in history was this book called the Bible. 
in its various languages. And you see, no matter how good the tradition is, if it's not Bible, it's going to lead to conflict with the Bible. And that's why we need to be careful as a church where we go and what we do. And that's why we've experienced some of the difficulties we have is because we're not going to let traditions grab a hold that aren't in this book. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we ask that you would help our church to accept this challenge of holding fast, and sta- of holding and standing fast in what you have given us. And Lord, we're thankful that the transmission of those traditions is in the written Word of God. And we're thankful that we can verify them by the testimonies of the Word of God and from history as well, if we would choose to go there. But nothing is, all is secondary to the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in a good thing today. That as we see all the traditions of this world, that you would give us the wisdom and the prudence, the ability to see where they go and see that eventually they will all lead us into conflict with the Word of God. Help us to hold on to only that which is from the Word of God. That when you come, you will find us standing where we ought to stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open.